The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees. And the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, Give your place to this man. And then you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place, so that when the host comes to you, he may say, My friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your wealthy neighbors, in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praised Lord Jesus Christ. Name the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. We as a people like to play games and we like to know how to win games. And so we, we like to know winning conditions and, and what it takes to win. I love one of John Madden's famous quotes when he was asked who he believed was going to win the game. And he said, I believe the team that scores the most points today will probably win. It's true. But what if there was a game that in order to win, you had to not play? We struggle with this, comp- this, this uh, concept in our competition-driven culture where there's no honor in defeat and there's, there's no honor in surrender. And I was just in awe over this past week that, that there was a single individual that awoke the honor demon of America. And it goes by the name Andrew Luck. Some of you may have heard that Andrew Luck, at the age of 29 this week, decided to retire, which is quite spectacular in a world where Tom Brady himself is playing now at the age of 42 in the NFL. And when the news broke, those fans that claimed to love him so much, some of them showered him with booze. Now, that's not all of the reactions he received, but it's a reaction I think we need to look at. Some were upset because he just destroyed their fantasy football season. Maybe they had drafted him just a few hours before. Others were upset with him because he was still going to be getting millions of dollars that was owed him on his contract. Still others were upset because they said, how could he leave hundreds of millions of dollars in future contracts on the table and just walk away? If I was given that opportunity, I wouldn't walk away. Yet he said something very fascinating in his speech when he, when he retired. He said, I haven't been able to live the life I wanted to live. So many of us looked at him and thought, man, wouldn't it be great to make millions of dollars to play a game? 
And here he is inside saying, I haven't even been able to live the life I wanted to live. It's not what I thought it would be. Through injuries and rehab and that cycle and getting better, only to to take steps backwards. And he, he said this, the only way forward is to remove myself from this cycle. He could have chased the cheers of his adoring fans. He he could have chased the promise of millions of dollars. He could have chased the honor of being a coveted member of millions of Americans' fantasy football teams and the savior of those very teams. He could have chased after all those things. And instead he chose to be with his wife who's with child. Is my fantasy football team more important than his life, than his family? But see, this is the problem we have in America. We stopped seeing him along with countless others as people. And we started to see them as these people or these things we give great honor to. And we expect them to entertain us. And when they walk away from it, we curse a world that would offer honor and opportunity to someone who appears now to be ungrateful for all the chances he was given. All because he chose not to play. And countless people don't get it. But what if that's the only way to win? To walk away? Most of us are a bit honor-obsessed. Now, none of us like to admit it because that would make us a narcissist. And none of us want to be narcissists. So we don't say anything about it. But nevertheless, we're all trying very, very hard to be noticed. And we're trying very, very hard to even have our kids be noticed. Then we do whatever it takes. Now each of us probably have some thinly veiled borders of morality that that would be too far to be noticed, but it's always a little gray. And we play within these rules as we want our children to graduate high school with honor so that they can get into the college that will notice them. And we want them to graduate with honors from college so that they can be noticed by graduate schools or, or by a future employer. This is, this is why we're in this college admission scandal right now. Parents who wanted the honor to send their kids to a school they wanted their kids to go to, who had money that could do that, and everyone else angry that their kids are being robbed of that honor because someone else had money. It's all tied up. And we want them to do whatever they can to be noticed by their coach, by their teacher, by whomever. And we've talked about this before, the online personas we create to to try to impress the world. If it's Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, and the resume building, or perhaps even maybe a little bit resume padding. I mean, I mean, how much time and energy do we spend building up fortified cities for our egos? How much time and energy do we spend building monuments to ourselves? How much time and energy do we spend coveting and worshiping at the feet of monuments built towards others? Last week, we began the series Focus on Jesus. All part of our theme this year, which is, is future focus, looking towards the future. And Pastor Milky talked about how we're called to focus on Jesus as he walks with us on this journey. We don't have to be scared and say, I'm never going to make it. It's impossible. But in the same sense, we don't have to arrogantly say, I can do it all on my own. We simply listen to Jesus, hear his voice, and follow, follow him. 
This week, we're again called to focus on Jesus. Jesus is at dinner, invited to the house of this ruler of the Pharisees. And it tells us that they're watching him closely. They're trying to get him to stumble. Remember, he's now on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. And after the first thing he does at this dinner, he actually heals this man after explaining why it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. And everyone's so dumbfounded, they can't even speak. And then Jesus goes real quickly into these two parables, just back to back. The first deals with where you sit when invited to a wedding feast. The second deals with who you invite when you throw a feast. Both of these deal with the idea of honor. So the first parable, we have this man who's trying so hard to be noticed, and so he chooses to sit up front at the wedding. You know, he's like sitting with the parents. You don't just come off the street and go sit there, right? Nowadays, what do you do? You look for the little cars, and it tells you you're at table number, whatever, and they've got cool little things, and you try to find it. Pastors, we're always like in the back with the DJ and the photographer. We have nothing in common. What do you do? I love Jesus. What do you do? I take pictures. It's great. Uh, anyways. And so this man comes in and he does get noticed. He does get noticed. But he gets noticed for all the wrong reasons. The host says, you're in the wrong seat. Someone else is in that seat. And so he sends him all the way to the back of the gathering. And now he has to walk back with, with embarrassment and shame. If he just quietly took the seat in the back to begin with, no one would have been any the wiser. But now he's embarrassed. And Jesus says, rather sit at the beginning, right from the, right from the beginning, sit in the back. And if they choose to honor you, that's wonderful. And if they choose not to honor you, that's wonderful too. Because you're at the feast. This is how it is with this honor game we all seem to be trapped in. There's a series of rules, spoken and unspoken, which dictate how we play. But everyone seems to be playing with a different set of rules, and everyone seems to lose. I mean, think of how much attention we pay to other people that we're obsessed with, that we convince ourselves they're winning the game. These people we've raised up on pedestals in, in the realm of celebrities, but even people at work, right? Or maybe at school, Right? There's always someone that seems to be doing better than you are in those realms. The teacher or the boss pays more attention to them. And then, because we're upset and we kind of probably inside wish it was us and not them, what do we do? We call them names. We call them brown nosers and teacher's pets. But don't we all lose? Because if we're honest, our past isn't as shiny as we thought it was. And, and our connections aren't as grand as we probably all make them out to be. And sometimes we just mess up. We make a mistake and it all comes crashing down. I mean, I mean, how many pedestals have we built for other people and we have watched them fall with a single decision to go from honor to completely despised? Years of work, gone. But Jesus proposes something radical. Don't play. Opt out. In order to win, simply choose not to play. Stop looking for honor. Stop seeking honor. Stop chasing after honor. Stop obsessing over honor. Because honor is slavery. It consumes us. It's this It's this. Thinly veiled, nice word 
we use to cover up pride. The deadly sin. Do you remember what it's like to lose yourself as a child in play? Do you, do you remember to just run out in the grass, feet bare, where time no longer exists? You're not worried about who's going to win and who's losing. You just, you just play. Do you remember that? The joy I think it would do us all well to remember that feeling. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. Stop playing this game with each other and to focus on Him. The second parable exposes our veiled attempts at the humble brag. You know, when you do something nice for someone, hoping that they'll notice it, or maybe even they'll give you something in return. I mean, have you ever invited someone into your house in hopes that they may repay you? Because you know they might have a bigger house or a better salary or whatever it is. Or maybe, maybe it's inviting that long-forsaken rich aunt to the wedding, hoping that she'll bring a present. No one's ever done this? No one? Okay. Right? And, and it's caring for these people, and we're saying to ourselves, look how kind I am. Don't you recognize my kindness? It's not kindness. It's self-serving. But Jesus says, invite those who have no ability to give you honor, who have no ability to accelerate your life, your position, your, your wealth, your status, your job, your livelihood, your success. Invite those who have nothing to give you. Nothing. But would be ever grateful just to receive what you've given them. Je- Jesus comes into this dinner party. He's, invite, he's the guest. And he looks at all the people gathered and says, you're playing this foolish game of musical chairs and you're all going to lose. And then he looks at the house and says, all these people you invited here is because you're so kind, isn't it? He's not making any friends at this meal. But he's offering them and he's offering us a profound alternative and it's called humility. Humble yourselves. St. Augustine was once asked, what are the three Uh, three greatest virtues of the church. And he said, first, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. Martin Luther, 1,100 years later, said the exact same thing. Honor is nothing more than our obsession with pride, which goes all the way back to the fall. That Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, you take a bite of this, you can be just like God. You want to be God? You want all glory, honor, and praise? Take a bite. You can be just like God. God. And ever since that, we've been building monuments to ourselves and cities to ourselves to be like God, worthy of all honor and glory and praise. But he calls us to humility, to humble ourselves. We have to understand, humility is not just tearing yourself down. That's not humility. Humility is understanding the gifts and the abilities and the life God has given you and giving thanks for that but holding that intention with the reality that you were created out of nothing. You're a creature. Adam was formed from the dust of the earth and God breathed his life into him. God is the creator, you are not. God is God, you are not. And all we have, we have received because we are creatures. 
And to believe in God is to know that truth. That we were created from nothing, but for His good pleasure. And to know that truth means we have nothing to boast about. Because we haven't earned anything. It's all been given to us by the gracious hand of our God. We fall prey to the the game of honor when we forget that we are creatures. When we forget that we came from nothing. But it is exactly in that moment when we humble ourselves that God exalts us and honors us more than any honor we could grab for ourselves. The psalmist says in Psalm 149, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And James writes, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And he who reigns over all at the throne in heaven itself has an ability to exalt you beyond what any person in this world can exalt. Why are we so worried about impressing man? We should be worried about impressing God, even in our own calling and vocation. Luther would say, don't work as if for man, as if you're impressing man, but that doesn't mean you're lazy. Work as if you're working for God, because it is his gifts and abilities that allow you to do exactly what you're doing. And Satan will try to strike you in the midst of it. He will come after you. He will give you opportunities to to enjoy and relish and honor and praise. Listen to Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. All your anxieties, all your worries. Doesn't this game cause us anxiety and worry? Where are we sitting? What are people saying about us? What are people thinking about us? Where do I stand? Stop. Cast them on Christ. He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's trying to devour you with pride to get you caught up with it. It does consume us. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's not easy because you won't get recognized. We're not doing it to be recognized. We're doing it to be faithful. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will set you firm. No monument we build to ourselves stands firm. They tumble. He will set you firm. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Scripture is clear. We deserve no honor. We deserve no honor. But God, who loves us and created us for his own sake, elevates us to the seat of honor through the humiliation of his son, Jesus. Who Paul says in Philippians, did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on flesh to be a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I could sit the seat of honor at the heavenly banquet. But we need to focus on the future, brothers and sisters. We need to focus on Christ. The honor game's tied up in now, or maybe tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or next year, and we think that's the future. That's not the future. That all goes quickly. It goes in a blink of an eye. We need to focus to our eternal future. And driven by that, trusting in God, 
live out the days with Christ that we've been given. We need to focus on Jesus all the days of our life because it is him who exalts us. It's him who loves us. It's him who cares for us and redeems us. It is him who has a hope and, and a certain hope for our future. It is him who desires for us to feast for all eternity at the great banquet in a seat of honor. It is him who invited the broken, the lame, the blind, the poor, the sinner, who invited us so we could dine with him forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.